First of all, I'd like to give a round of applause to the band up here. This was really, 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 really good. I want to say how great it is to be here. Again, I'm not Miguel, but I'm privileged to be here and glad to um, have a time to share about the things of God. To me, there's no place like coming together in fellowship. The Bible says not to forsake the gathering of yourselves together. There's a real important reason for that. We can encourage one another. And we all need encouragement. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, it says God is the God of all comfort and encouragement and that he comforts and encourages us so that we might be able to comfort and encourage others with the comfort that we receive from God. So we're conduits of God's comfort coming to give to others. And we really need it. I got some this morning and it really meant a lot to me. And I just feel the sense of the importance of being able to comfort and encourage one another. If I had to title the talk today, I would title it Really Good News About the Gospel. Really Good News About the Gospel. Uh, first of all, leading a children's moment, so I just want to go on record, is an entirely unpredictable path. <laughs> Some of you that are related to these children, I hope you can hear what they're saying. So um, we need to have a mic down in front of their face. Um, but it is incredible to see what they think about and how they see things. What we consider to be really good news, because the scripture has really good news. And in Luke 2, 10 and 11, the shepherds were gathered in the field, and the angels came and said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Very interesting to note that the good news was for everybody, not for the Jews, not just for the Gentiles, not just for the Scythians, for those of you who are worried about the Scythians, or the Greeks, but the good news was for everybody. And they said, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word Savior can also be translated rescuer. And I like that translation because rescuer really grabs inside of me a bunch of times. I've needed to be rescued several times in my life. Um, on all sorts of things. And to think of Jesus as a rescuer is very helpful. And, and when the angel came to Joseph, he also, angels told Joseph about Jesus' birth. And in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, it says, And when they had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means rescuer or savior. But here, Joseph heard what they were going to be saved from. Um, sometimes I would be like to be saved from the first day of school. You know, that's not so pleasant. I have a couple of things in my life that are not necessarily the best memories. And a couple of days I would like to delete in life. Do you have one of those? I'll briefly tell you about one. When I went into the eighth grade, I began high school. Back then you began it in the eighth grade. 
It was an awkward time. In eighth grade, I don't know what you are, 12, 13, something like that, but you're very tuned to what other people think about you. And when you're starting high school for the first time, you're seeing lots of people who don't know you, and it makes a difference what they think about you. That fades gradually over time, but when, when you're starting high school, that's a big deal. I walked into a room and a teacher said, the class is too big, I have another teacher here, if I call your name, come forward and go with her until her class, because she's going to make a new class. And I said, well, this will be nice. And they called names, and there was Barbara Jones, and she stood up, and everybody in the room looked at Barbara Jones as she walked up to see how she walked, see what she looked like. We didn't know her. But, you know, and then they'd call up this person, and they'd go down, and they were going down the list. And then the teacher said, Jill Pickle. And nobody moved. And I said, I wouldn't move either. That parent should be shot. I mean, first of all, having a last name Pickle, and then naming your child Jill, that, that is totally offsite. And the teacher said it again, Jill Pickle. And she didn't move then. And I said, this is going to be awkward. I can see this is going to be very awkward. And then all of a sudden, a thought came to my mind. I wonder if that's Jim Purple. And I said to the teacher, could that possibly be Jim Purple? Oh, yes, 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 Jim Purple. The ultimate embarrassing event is all those kids started in a chorus, Jill Pickle, Jill Pickle, just like this. Is I had to walk forward and felt like I just wanted to jump out of a window. Okay, I'd like to delete that day. That wasn't a particularly good day. Fortunately, it didn't hold. I don't want it holding with you either, but it didn't hold. Okay, I was it'd be nice to be rescued from that day. But God is talking about much more serious things. That people needed to be rescued from their sins. Now, sins has got really four parts to it that people need rescuing from. There are really four aspects that are troublesome for us, and they started all the way in the garden. They're mentioned all through the Bible, and I'm just going to comment on four of them briefly. The first, the Bible says, is that sin deceives. Deceives. Deceives is being tricked. Uh, that's what it is. You don't know if you're deceived, because if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. You got that, Darrell? You got to think on that one. People who are deceived don't know they're deceived. Because if they knew they were deceived, they wouldn't be deceived. The Bible says sin deceives. It says that sin hardens, hardens the heart. And there's a great verse on this. is Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there's a deceitfulness of sin, and the deceitfulness of sin hardens a person to sin. The third characteristic is the Bible says that sin enslaves. And this was Jesus' direct comment, very important, John 8, 26, he who commits sin is the slave of sin. Sin enslaves. And then in Romans 3, 23, it says, for the wages, or since Kathy's here, the result of sin is death. The result of sin is death. Sin kills. Sin deceives. Sin hardens. Sin enslaves. And sin kills. Now, if I say all those things, you'd go, crud, we better not do that. That's exactly God's point. Don't do that. 
Now, when God created us in the garden, he didn't plan for us to fall into sin. It wasn't that I'm going to create this, this, these man and a woman. I'm going to really get them. Watch me get them. No. God intended that there be a special fellowship between his creation that couldn't be any other way. But he knew that we would be tempted just like Satan was tempted. And he let Satan be in the garden. Satan did not sneak in the back door when Gabriel wasn't watching. That is not the way it happened. God knew that it was necessary for us to be tempted with the ultimate temptation, which Satan brought out on his first deck and said, if you will listen to what I'm saying, you can be as God. And that thing God told you about not eating of the tree of good and evil is because if you eat of it, you will know as God knows. And the woman listened to that, and she looked at the tree, and the Bible says that she saw the tree was, in Genesis 3, 6, good for food, delightful to look at, and to be desired to make one wise. Good for food, delightful to look at, to be desired to make one wise. Now in 1 John 2, it categorizes all of the things in the world into those three categories. And in 1 John 2, it says all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life do not come from the Father. The lust of the flesh was the food. The lust of the eyes, delightful to look at. Desired to make one wise, I can know as God knows. The woman looked at it, and she took a bite. Now after she took a bite, she offered to Adam, and Adam took a bite. How long did it take God to show up? Two verses. It took God two verses to show up. And he called out to Adam and said to Adam, Where are you, Adam? And Adam said, We can't come out because we're naked. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Now, before they didn't have any clothes, they weren't ashamed. But once they had sinned, everything changed. Because sin then invokes a separation from God. And so God asked Adam, did you eat of the tree? Now what should have Adam done? What should Adam have done? Adam should have said, I'm sorry, I disobeyed you, please forgive me. But that's not the way sin works. You see, once sin gets in, it immediately goes to hardening. And so the first thing Adam said was, the woman gave me the food. And this is what sin does. We see all this through our lives. Our lives are like, is there something wrong with me? My mom never paid enough attention to me. She was always paying attention to my other siblings. That's what's the problem. It's not me, it's my mom. It's my boss. It's the schedule of Marta. Whatever it is, it's something else. Hardening is we don't take responsibility, but we shove responsibility onto somebody else. And boy, we can be very critical. We can be super critical. I'm telling you, it's all through the whole U.S. I can attribute it to this, that, or the other, and it's really bad, and that's what's screwing everything up, and if they would just do it the way I do it, want it done, it would all work out. That is hardening. And Adam did it immediately. It was the woman. She handed it to me. So God turned to the woman. And what did the woman say? It was the serpent. Nobody's responsible. 
And he turned to the serpent, and he pronounced judgment on the serpent. He turned to the woman, pronounced judgment on the woman. He turned to Adam and pronounced judgment on Adam. And nobody walked out of that in good shape. I particularly hated the pain in childbirth and the cursing of the ground. Those were rough. That wasn't God's intention from the beginning. Now, I've not had a child, obviously, but many of you have. No pain in childbirth would be a wonderful thing. We lost that. We lost that because we entered into sin rather than following God. Now, one thing about God that we are not good at is God is awesome, awesome, awesome. We don't have a scale for the awesomeness of God. And we have unfortunately got into a pattern that we treat God as a nice option, a good person to be with, someone to talk to, listen to what he has to say, mildly change my life to conform it a bit, and let's move on. And that is not the way that it is. God is God. And the children of Israel were being led by Moses. And they got a little upset with Moses because Moses was coming down from talking to God saying, God says this. And the children of Israel essentially said to Moses, you're going up there and getting all these messages and coming down and speaking. You tell God this. We want to talk to God. You tell God to come down, sit in our circle, we'll talk to him, and we'll figure these things out, and stop sending us these edicts from on high about what we have to do. Now, we all know lots of stories. We've all seen the Ten Commandments, and we know that Charlton Heston can smash tablets, and we know that you can get in very bad trouble for that, for going against God. But they had no problem with minimizing the awesomeness of God. They had no problem with that. God, you just come and talk to us. So God said, okay, you gather them at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now set up a place and don't let them walk on the mountain or they'll die. But put something around Mount Sinai, you gather them together and I'll come down and talk to them. Now one thing from the movies that's a little bit confusing is we tend to think that the Ten Commandments came when Charlton Heston walked them down and everything, and that's the first time people ever saw them. Well, that wasn't the first time people ever saw them because God came to Mount Sinai in a cloud that had fire and thunder, and he spoke directly to the children of Israel. And when he spoke directly in Exodus 20, he spoke the Ten Commandments directly to them so they could hear it. God spoke it. Later, he put it on a tablet. About 10 chapters later, he put it on a tablet and it came down. What did those people do? Did they go, well, he's not so much of a god. He came and talked to us, but we can handle this guy. Let's give him a few votes, but we'll basically charge our course. That's not what happened. The people were terrified. And they grabbed Moses and said, whatever you do, never, never Never let God talk to us again. Because when they had this very tiny exposure to God, it completely got them. Now this week, I walked out on my back deck, and I think many of you have had this happen, where you go out and a lightning and a thunder hit so close that the sound and the light are at the same time. Just like that. Just like that. I stepped out on my back deck and got one of those. I, I mean, what, 100 yards away? That's what it seemed like. 
It was just that my, my whole being was quivering. I, I, I just couldn't. That is just one thunder with one lightning. Our bodies can't take God. We can't. We are so prideful. And this is why God called us a stiff-necked people. We are so prideful that we do not honor what God says to do, and we head out in our own direction, and then we expect God to bless it because, Dad, gummit God, you're a good God, so you ought to bless what I want to do. Now, there's a really good, if you can receive this, there's a really good section on this in Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it's either 4 or 7, and I'm going to tell you in just a second. It is, and it must be Isaiah 4. In Isaiah 4, it says, And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Do you hear that? In so many words, we will do our own thing, but we want your name to take away our reproach. And of course, that's Satan's tactic in the church today. Let the church go out and do its own thing and leave Jesus over here, but invoke the name of Jesus to take away the reproach of the church. And what Jesus said was, there will be those in that day that come unto me and said, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you who do wickedly. I have never known you. And there are going to be some surprised people who think that because they've gone through a form and invoked the name of Jesus on what they're doing, that Jesus hasn't looked inside their heart to find out that their heart isn't given to him at all. This is a big deal. And this is what it said in Isaiah 4. Seven is a number of completeness. And this was a prophecy saying this is what's going to happen in the church. The next verse is so great because it says in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. So those that are really following after the Lord are going to be glorious. But there is going to be a deception that what, the way you relate to God is you do things largely the way you want to do them. And then you ask God to bless them. And when Jesus talked to the scribes and Pharisees, and he didn't have a lot of great things to say about scribes and Pharisees, as you note. But he talked to them in Mark 7, 5 through 9, and he said this, you, in verse 9, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You are experts at setting aside the command of God in order to keep your tradition. And these were people, he was saying, bad things. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to make a single convert. And then you make them, listen to this, twice the child of hell that you are. Has anybody ever called you a child of hell? No one's ever called me a child of hell. Imagine if you were a prominent religious leader and Jesus looked you right in the face and said, your proselytes are twice the children of hell that you are. You can't walk away going, maybe there's been a misunderstanding. Do you see? This is Jesus being very direct. This is a very difficult thing for us to hold on to because God is awesome, awesome, awesome. He's not just, it's okay, let's bring him in. God is God. 
And when he tells us that sin deceives, hardens, enslaves, and kills, he is trying to save us, to rescue us from our sins. Now, Satan is all on top of this, and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. This is talking about the final judgment, Jim. You see, in the final judgment, he's going to look at you, Jim, and go, boy, you had a pretty bad list. Lucky for you, I shed my blood. Okay, you get to go into heaven. And that's what it's talking about. Well, it includes that, that's for sure. And many times, Satan always speaks this way, half-truths. He tried to quote scripture to Jesus, and he'll move half-truths. And certainly, on the judgment day, I'm going to be relying on that verse that says in John 3 that those that believe him have, will not enter into the judgment because those who believed in him have passed from judgment. And I definitely want that. But God is talking about our life here. He's talking about the effects of sin here on earth and what happens. Most people want to have a close relationship with God. And in Isaiah, he says in Isaiah 59, your sin has separated you from me. And yet we tend to toy with sin rather than hate sin. And scripture says, for the love of God includes the hatred of sin in Romans. The love of God includes the hatred of sin. So if we say, well, I love him, I love him, I love him. And then we have sin that we know is in our life and we let it abide. We don't have the love of God. The love of God includes the hatred of sin. You say, that's pretty strong. That's what the scripture says. It's extremely important. Now, God would often say in the Old Testament, he could not move among the people because there was sin in the camp. And God wanted his presence to come among the people. And this is very important because God did not say, I'm going to get you on your sins. He said, I want you to be rescued from your sins. And all the times he laid out the Ten Commandments, at the end of the Ten Commandments, do you know what he said? He said, I'm going to tell you how to build altars. Don't build them out of hewn stones. No human touching. You can build an earthen altar. And every place you do that, I am going to come and bless you. God's intention was to bless his creation from the beginning. But he cannot bless that which rejects him. So Helen's not here. Helen's my wife. So if I was going to... Helen, Helen's coming in from... North Carolina, I'm going to give Helen a big hug. It may last a long time, this hug, and there's going to be some serious kissing. And, but I can't go up to Helen and with one hand reach out to hug her and with the other hand push her away. Do you see? And this is what we do with God. We say, God, and we say, I want the love part where you bless me, and I don't want you trying to change things in my life that I know are wrong. You can't do that. You can't treat God that way. God will not come close. He cannot be there that way. So, what was this great news? Well, the great news with Jesus was he brought the power to rescue us from sin. Now, when I was young and stupid, maybe stupider than I am now, somehow I got thrown into the deep end of a swimming pool. And I can remember thinking, I don't, can't remember how old I was, seven or eight, it was the Collins' swimming pool, Margie. And I was whatever I was doing over there, I'm not sure. And I remember thinking, and this is actually sober that I could think this way, I didn't know life was gonna be this short as I was drowning. I didn't know life was gonna be this short. Now, there were about four or five very capable people near the pool, they jumped in, pulled me out, and I lived, which I can evidence, I did live. And so I lived through that. 
But there was a time I absolutely needed rescuing. I cannot do it on my own strength. Now, I was perfectly good at flailing. Do you know what I mean by flailing? I was underwater flailing with the best of them, but I wasn't going up. I was just drowning. And people are very good at flailing, activity, doing things. God's not interested in flailing. He's interested in rescuing. And Jesus comes to rescue us. So what did Jesus say? Right after he said, he who commits sin is the slave of sin, two verses later Jesus says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And if you'll notice, when Jesus healed people, about half the time he said, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't even say, be healed. He just said, your sins are forgiven you, and they were healed. Jesus was very keen that he was going to come and live within us, and we were going to live within him, and he was going to make a new creation that was freed from the slavery of sin. And the freedom would come from his strength, not our strength, but the invitation had to come from us, and regularly. And therefore, when he talked about the Holy Spirit, he said one of the main things the Holy Spirit is going to do is to convict the world of sin. And so you say, well, I want the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to be in our service. I want the Holy Spirit to be in me. I want the Holy Spirit to have control of me and transform me. What the Holy Spirit does at the very foundational level, what Jesus said is the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. Convict you of sin. Now, this is a gigantic point in all our lives. I hit this in the middle of the week on something really bad this week, which makes it very real to me right now, where God shows us and convicts us and says, this is not right. One of the things in our, in our culture that is horrible is how willing we are to criticize and condemn other people. We do it just easy. And we'll say, these people, this person and this group are bad for these reasons. Jesus came and said he came to rescue everybody. He came to rescue me, he came to rescue you. And he sent us out the, right, the same way. He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. We, we're really good at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But we need to add on to it John 3, 17, which says, For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So Jesus' purpose was not to come up and go, Leah, let me just tell you the four categories. You are really bad. That's not what he came to do. When the woman was caught in adultery, there was no question she was caught in adultery. There was no question. What did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Don't put up with the sin, but Jesus wasn't in the business of condemnation. He was in the business of rescuing. And you might say the most ridiculous thing we could do is not throw our arms wide open to be rescued. And you would be right. Jesus came to rescue, and he's saying, come to me. And this is why he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden. Have you ever felt burdened and heavy laden? Who has felt burdened and heavy laden this week? 
Yeah, I have felt it this week. Jesus said, come to me, you who are burdened and heavy laden. And most of us think the rest of that verse goes, and I'll put you on some more committees at church and make you do more because you're not doing nearly enough yet. That's the way we live our lives. We live our lives as if you come to Jesus, it's going to be a risky enterprise. And Jesus is saying, I am the rescuer. Come over here and get rescued. He said, come unto me, all you burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Peace. He said, take my burden upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Do you know how many adults, I can't remember kids anymore, I'm too old, but do you know how many adults have real rest? Almost every adult I know is anxious about something. Not, not, they're not in institutions. They're just, how is this ever going to work out? And if they have kids, they're automatically anxious about their kids. They're just anxious about something. Where is it going to go? Where's the next election going to go? How is this going to work? The economy is going the wrong way. I had a 401k plan. It doesn't have anything in it anymore. How, you can get anxious. All you got to do, if you're not anxious about something, I'll get you anxious about something. <laughs> All you got to do is open the internet and read the news. You'll be anxious. There is no peace except in the Lord because his hand is over all things. Everything else can goof up. And if you think you got it covered, what about climate change? You'll get goofed up somewhere. No matter how comfortable you feel, I'll give you a topic you're not comfortable with, okay? And then I'm gonna say, Darrell, what are you doing to make a difference on that? And then you've added guilt to anxiety. And guilt plus anxiety is not a good place to be. And this happens all over, this is the world. And Jesus says, come unto me. So we have a savior, we have a rescuer, but not only does this rescuer forgive our sins and pull us up, but he makes us into a new person. So in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, all has become new. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glance, the glory of the Lord, are being changed into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. That Leah is being changed into the image of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, you say that's impossible. It is impossible to everybody except God. And Jesus flat came out and said, for men, this is impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. So this was tremendous news. This was Fabulous news, but we need to be wise and recognize that the enemy is going to come in and make sin look good. The worst occupation in America in terms of trust, does anybody know what it is? Want to take a guess? What occupation in a survey came out the least trustworthy? Lawyers. That's a good guess. Used car salesmen. Used car salesmen are the least trusted occupation in America, and you all understand that and why, okay? Satan is a used car salesman. No question about it. What you need, I have it. Do you hear it? If you say, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about with Satan. What do you mean with Satan? Have you ever heard someone say to you, you can do it and no one will know? 
unless I'm tremendously odd, I've had that 500 times in my life at least. You can do this and nobody will find out about it. That's Satan's voice. He didn't show up and say, I'm Satan, I'm condemned, would you like to go to hell with me and suffer eternally? He does not appear that way. He comes as an angel of light. If you do not know that Satan is deceptive, you will be deceived. If you take Satan on by yourself, you're not going to win the battle. But Jesus said you're not going to take Satan on by yourself at all because he's a defeated foe. When I left, I defeated the ruler of this world, and he is no longer has authority. I have defeated him. And now I am in you, and you are in me. And the last four chapters of Jesus' teaching before he went to the cross, he just said this like eight times, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And then he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Of course, Satan would say, you have the potential to bear much fruit. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It cannot help but happening. But he also said, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, nobody in this room, or few people in our culture believe that. We just believe, well, maybe without Jesus, we're less effective. It's not what he said. You see, he said, without me, you can do nothing. The Bible describes our works into two categories. There's wood, hay, and stubble, and then there's silver and gold. And the Bible says that all of our works will be tested by fire. Well, works that are tested by fire that are wood, hay, and stubble, these are the works of our flesh. They burn in the fire. But the works of God are like silver and gold, and when they're tested by fire, they're purified. And that's the way it is. And this is why Paul wrote in Galatians 3.3, Oh, you foolish Galatians, having started with the Spirit of God, will you now achieve perfection in the flesh? Because only the Spirit of God, only Jesus could rescue us from sin, save us. Only Jesus can make us into His image. And He wants to do it. And the stupidest thing we can do is to resist Him. But the dumbest thing is to believe a lie from Satan that sin will satisfy. That sin will satisfy. So the Bible goes through a lot of things to make sure we understand that. And there are lots of stories about people who in very short periods of time went from following God to deep into sin. And they did it fast. Even Moses' crew, he had been following God, had been doing miracle, 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 miracle. Moses went on the mountain to get the tablets and he was up there for, I don't know, but short number of weeks. And what happened to the people down below? They made a golden calf. They started doing all sorts of sexually immoral things. They are lying, stealing. The whole place went to pot in a matter of weeks after seeing God doing all that. That's what we're capable of. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is deceitful. Who can know it? The heart of man is deceitful, actually is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Jeremiah 17, 9. Do you think of your heart as desperately sick? Without Christ, that's the way that it is. But the Bible says he comes in and renews our hearts and makes us and changes us. So, really good news. There's a rescuer to save us from our sins, not just in eternal judgment, but to save us from the effects of sin day by day by day by day. And God calls us to extend our arms out to him and say, Lord, come. Where there's a problem where I've done something wrong, I confess it. I don't say it's my wife's responsibility. It was me. I'm not saying it was that stupid dog. It was me. 
I'm not punning it on anybody else. I confess and I am sorry. And the Bible says that he is faithful to change us into the image of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to you for being our rescuer. That we are in the world, but not of the world. That you have made such a wonder to create us in the first place. We thank you that you put up with us, and we ask now that you turn our hearts. And you make it so that our hearts long after you and desire you and see evil for what evil is and hate that which is evil and love you with our whole heart. We thank you again, Lord, and ask your blessing upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time just if you want to, to come and pray for those of you that are new. Any from that green ribbon there to the left, there'll be some people to pray for you if you want to be prayed. If you want to pray by yourself, go to the last half of the altar. But we're just going to have a time of prayer that uh, you can come forward and talk with the Lord and others will pray with you if you'd like. And then uh, we'll close with... Do we, we, we close afterwards? These guys are standing up already. Am, am I getting the protocol right? You're good. Okay, y'all hold on for a minute while we, while we have this prayer. Okay, so the altar will be open here for the next few minutes.